Welcome everyone, this is Carlos from SeedCamp. Today we're going to be covering an area that I think for the most of us is a little bit of a black box. We all own insurance products, we all buy them in fear of something horrible is going to happen. We sometimes get to have to use them and hate the whole experience. And most of the time we walk away supremely dissatisfied with the whole process and feel like the whole thing is really just a big scam. However, insurance has helped many great people um, overcome illnesses, overcome accidents, and has been a savior in many cases. And the question is, is there still room for innovation? You know, it's been an industry that's been around for a long, long time, and as a consequence, probably is a bit stuck in its ways. And like other industries that are being disrupted, there's a whole new set of startups that are coming up and that are actually changing the face of insurance. And today I have two guests. I have Ernesto from iCar Hire Insurance, and we're going to be hearing from him in a little bit, and off, uh, Nicholas, uh, a SeedCam company, uh, Casco, and we're going to be hearing from him as well. So let's start off with you, Ernesto. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about sort of why you started. So what were you doing before you got into uh, creating iCar Hire Insurance? Were you in the sector before? And then, you know, why, why, did, why this specific bit? And maybe tell us a little bit about the company. Okay. Well. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Ernesto Suarez. Um, I pretty much was working um, 10 years ago in insurance. Worked for AIG, the, you know, probably the world's largest insurance company at the time. And I was working uh, managing the personal lines division, which gave me access to personal lines products that covers motor insurance, home insurance, and ancillary products. And I spent a lot of my time in um, probably what I consider now product innovation. I kept coming up with ideas of new products. And early on in my career there, I did I stumbled across um, you know products that really interested me and kind of took me back to um, experiences that I was having as a consumer. And I, I thought there was a big disconnect. And uh, one of these was rental car insurance, and and that's how my journey started. Um, I spent 10 years at AIG working, developing products, um, you know, working in the UK, traveling around the world. And one of the things that I guess was always itching in my body was I really want to do something special here and I want to change something. And I thought really the problem I wanted to solve immediately was how can I make consumer or financial consumer products easy to understand and how actually I could distribute them in a way that people would be well informed and um, get a better deal. And on that basis... Um, so you were, you were very, would it be safe to say that you were very passionate about the sort of front-facing uh, emotional connection with insurance products so that they weren't as crappy as people perhaps felt that the existing products were? Exactly. And that was also, I had a background in my own experiences with that product. So. I immediately dove into car rental insurance as, a, as an industry and I saw a really big problem there. I saw lots of people um, not happy with the experience of not only booking a rental car, uh, but also the post-sale or, or collection process of, of that product. It was just very disintermediated and um, there was a price disadvantage that I thought I could, I could easily come in and use technology. Uh, to deliver this uh, in a better way to consumers. So this is how Halo started. It started as a, as a, as a 
online insurance intermediary. And Halo is the front-facing brand of, of your company, Icarha Insurance. Correct. Halo now is, is our company name. We operate several online insurance uh, websites focusing on car rental insurance around the globe. Because when we look at car rental, it's, it's, it's a homogeneous experience around the globe. No matter where you travel, um, you're going to get the same experience. You're going to go to the car rental desk. Customers are going to be um, purchasing, uh, picking up their rental car, but also being offered insurance. And it's this insurance product that we are actually addressing with our, our company. We're taking that purchase and kind of removing it from the from the chain, from, from the from the purchase process and saying to customers, actually you can buy this before you travel, you can get it at a much better price, and there's actually probably a better product uh, in there that you can source from us. And that awareness, uh, that, that that education process started way back. You could say this has been going on for 20 years, but when I came into the market, distributing it through the internet, we were innovating in that sense, and we were actually just scratching the surface of a multi-billion pound market, which is technically travel, but focusing on car rental, it's just a global business. It's one insurance product that I was looking at that I thought I could do this globally and I could make it easy for customers to understand why they need to buy from us versus the car rental desk. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good point. And what we'll talk about a little bit, and I know that you're very good with, with sort of stats. So I want to get into a little bit later about some of the stats that are making up the, this transition from, let's say, buying things from the, the purveyor of the asset ex, uh, and moving it on to sort of startups that are, that are selling these sort of decoupled services. Um, on that note, Nicholas, why don't you tell us okay. a little bit about your background and sort of what you were doing before you started Casco and, and sort of what, what the, the general idea behind Casco is. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, first of all, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, so basically, I, I was kind of born into insurance. So my dad um, from this company doing classic car insurance, so very product focused and so, you know, similar kind of opportunity or, or, or market mismatch there. Um, worked for a big uh, industrial or commercial insurance broker, always in the business development side, worked in the family business. Um, didn't really like cars that much, so didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, branched out into consulting, but always in the insurance and um, financial industry. Um, and I guess, you know, throughout that journey, I, I was just frustrated um, by the kind of speed or lack thereof of just doing new stuff. There were so many internal discussions, um, flip charting about what a product should look like without even asking the customer. Um, and um, so I reached out to, to, to my co-founder, uh, Matthew, we've known from UniTimes, um, and we started Casco. And um, Casco kind of developed um, over time, but what we're trying to achieve is, our goal is very simple. It's the right insurance at the right time, at the right place, at the right price. Now, we do that, uh, we see a growing opportunity by offering insurance where customers already are. These are digital brands or third-party services like... But can I stop you there? So, yeah, so sure. let's, let's explore that uh, idea a little bit further. There are current products that are out there that are perhaps subpar, that yeah. are being replaced by new entrants, new startups, um, like Halo, for example. Yeah. And then there are other, the other services where there's just no insurance that is being taken up yeah. because it is mispackaged. Or yeah. It's mis yeah. And so from my understanding, what Casco is trying to do is trying to fill in that gap. Can you share a little bit more about... That. Yeah, so so I guess for us it's um, 
we want to mix um, distribution and product. Um, and on the distribution side, we say, go to where the customer already is, where a digital brand, let's be it a, could be a travel website, know something contextually about the customer that could be as little as booking a flight and as comprehensive as having a digital bank and having a full transactional view about the customer. Now, when you have these, you need now to match the products, the risk. An insurance product is nothing more than ensuring a certain risk event. They've been traditionally bundled, and now you need to rebundle them, at least some of them, to match them with the contextual um, situation that the customer is. And that's what we do. We bring, we go, we, we go to these brands, um, we talk about how to inject trust and additional services to their offering. We then go to uh, insurance companies um, trying to either use existing products if they're good. Not everything is bad. It just needs to be um, filtered in the right way. Um, most of the time we're actually building new products. Yeah, by building new products, I essentially, I, I mean, focusing on certain risk modules, um, cutting down the timing on things, making it either short term um, and also most of them, this is the kind of collaborative uh, economy or share economy, injecting some form of rental because at the end of the day that's from an insurance perspective some rental benefit. But like for example, one, one, one idea that you've shared with me in the past was this idea of you know, if I'm going to go travel mm -hmm. and I'm way paying too much for yep. let's say elements that I will never use, yeah. like for example maybe there's an element of the packaging in the product that says yeah. for lost property uh, when I'm traveling without anything. Yeah, so let's, I think, um, um, I want to, you know, we're not focused that much on travel, but I think travel is, is a good example because it's quite simple product. So you have a luggage insurance. So normally, um, and it's totally mispackaged. Um, so normally what you do, you have, I don't know, 2,000 um, pounds insured sum. And you think, okay, this is, so everything I carry, but this excludes electronics. Now, I don't really care about my bathing suit, you know, getting lost. I care about my laptop when I, when I travel. So it is this mismatch, and most of the time, the consumer just doesn't read the fine print. Um, so either you need to make sure that you package the product and explain it to the customer really well, or if, and that's our approach more, to say we package, we make the product right so the customer actually doesn't have to consider, and then you, you have the more convenience buyer and the more interested buyer, um, and th the list goes on, mm. and, and this is, um, you know, let's not go into uh, PPI insurance, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's out I love I love those phone calls I get on the uh, on automated people calling me it's about PPI product. insurance. I, I have, it's actually know. a good product, it's just misold. <laughs> it's completely misold. <laughs> actually, that's their pitch. Have you been missold PPI insurance? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. the first thing that you always say. All right, well, we've covered a couple of bits of the value chain, sure. and you guys are obviously far more knowledgeable in the insurance space than I am, but maybe what we can do is jump around across the value chain. Maybe you can help the audience understand it a little bit better. So, for example, Ernesto, you were talking about how you, you, you're very on the front end of a people interfacing with a brand that they can then trust, like yours, yes. on, on soliciting an insurance product for what they're about to do. And then, you know, Nicholas, you're talking a little bit about repackaging sort of broken products in a way and optimizing them for specific new scenarios in some cases in, in the collaborative consumption economy, but also in other cases just selling the right product. But then let's skip all the way to the sort of the, the bottom dredges of sort of algorithmic insurance products, you know, underwriting. What, what innovation has yet to come there? Is, it, is there any innovation to be had still at the underlying fundamental element of insurance, which is shit can go bad. If it happens, this is how likely it will happen, how often it will happen. Is there any innovation left there or is it, is it not for the realm of startups? 
I think if you're going to be looking at the deep end of the value chain, um, you have to first understand the, what talent is in the industry. And at the moment, um, we could say there is going to be lots of innovation in the deep end of the industry, but it's lacking that talent that you are looking at what's coming out today. So for example, there's a lot of topics around data. Uh, what can we do with data, big data, particularly data that people are going to start trying to reconcile in the back end to tell them a lot more about that particular risk, whether a commercial risk or a personal, a personal uh, a customer individual risk. And I think the disruption is mostly happening with what technology can do for that data, but there are people yet, I think, to discover what to do with that amount of data. I think everyone has or is looking into acquiring the technology to do things better in the industry, whether it's more efficiency, gain um, more access to distribution channels, digital channels per se. But I think the core innovation where you're going to see uh, a lot of this, it, it's, it's got to be in the deep root use of data and Who's going to manipulate that data and how? I mean, I've been at presentations where I've even heard artificial intelligence is going to take over. Not so. Um, underwriting, per se, the risk management of insurance is still still controlled by a, a human, a, a personal experience of focusing on a sector or a particular cluster of data. And, and underwriters bear that responsibility currently. But there is going to be a lot of shift towards those managing the data as those that control the knowledge or, or, or get better learning of the risk. So innovation to me is going to happen in different tiers. There's going to be obviously innovation driven by what you have in terms of data. And then there's going to be obviously innovation in how we deploy those products based on how the risk is assessed. So you can see it now in car insurance. People are coming out with telematics. Telematics has been around for years in the military, etc. But only now are people starting to apply it to consumer insurance uh, propositions. Just to clarify, telematics would be like any information about your driving, yes. accelerometer data. Imagine that big black box in your car that's yeah. collecting all this data about your driving habits and it's sending it to some cloud. Mm. That cloud is then accessed by a human mm. and it's making sense of that data. Yeah, but so you were talking a little bit about earlier about uh, you don't believe that AI is going to crack this bit because there's going to be all this data that's being generated yeah. and you're saying that a human is ultimately responsible for that data. But it would seem to me like this is something right for machine learning and then making drawing conclusions from this. But Nicholas, earlier you were saying that you also don't think that this is something AI will crack. What, why is that? Why, why is this not the realm of AI, even if we fast forward five years, 10 years? Well, so, so I think it could potentially be the realm of AI, but the insurance regulation would have to fundamentally change because a, uh, an insurer needs to say exactly based on which criteria a certain premium was calculated. Now, AI doesn't know, for example, in Europe, uh, you're not allowed to differentiate by, with, by gender. Now, this is a massive uh, risk factor. Um, AI, you would have to, you basically couldn't, couldn't let uh, machine learning run rampant. You would kind of have to shackle it. Um, and at that point, I'm not sure how much of an added benefit 
a, a machine learning algorithm is which is constrained by what it shouldn't do because I would imagine, you know, I'm not a machine learning expert, but the insights come from what is not, um, what cannot be learned as easy from a hypothesis-driven approach. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, that's not going to happen in the near future. And that makes sense. And, and you know, this is information I, I, I didn't know and that would, would prohibit a startup from being able to sort of innovate on what monopolists currently have a, a stronghold on because if, if this is the case, then whoever has those processes in place right now and the algorithms and the data are basically going to control the future. So does that mean that the, the rest of innovation that's going to happen in insurance is relegated to everything else in the value chain? That's what we're seeing today. I think the innovation is coming out in different... Um, if, if you draw a box, you'd have different quadrants of where this innovation is happening the most. And I think you could probably see that the innovation is happening at the distribution level. Yeah. Because that's what we're experiencing right now, the way insurance is sold to you in different propositions, but also in product innovation. Yeah. I think this is where I sit in that box. I sit in that product innovation box. Yeah. I've taken a, a very uh, probably convoluted product proposition and made it simple to understand for consumers. Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is make sure they come to our website and learn about the product, have the right information available to them but also buy it at a reasonable price. Yep. That is my goal. I, 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 I thought this from the very start, you've got to have a consumer champion story there. Um, and, and, and it's a great opportunity to have. But if you look at product innovation, it comes in different formats, like uh, Nick was, was saying about, you know, packaging a, a particular product based on the customer's needs, not because it's kind of a standard approach to this is what our product is in a box um, and, I, and I think this is what maybe in a different way what um, I'm doing with my company mm -hmm. is I'm somewhat um, probably taking a very uh, uh, simple approach to selling products online mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I can then capture that customer data and then engage that customer through the, the life cycle of, yeah. of them being with us but that's, I mean, that's a little easier for you to do in some ways because it, you're owning that brand, right? Like you've created a brand and you've limited sort of the scope of that brand. You, you're not trying to tackle 500 different verticals. No. You're saying this specific thing, I'm going to experience, I'm going to create an amazing experience for the customer. But like if, I, if I pick on you for a second, Nicholas, what, it, what, are, what are the things that you need to do considering the fact that you're repackaging a product and enabling other brands to sell that product? To get them to the point where Ernesto is, where he's, you know, he's taken all his experience in building this consumer-facing brand, and now you're trying to repackage something that's already complex enough. I mean, like, and how how do new startups tackle that issue of, especially distribution, educating the endpoint where it's consumed? Yeah. Um, I think there are two, two things. One is the distribution, one is the product. I couldn't agree more. Other people add structure to it, but maybe we get, get back to that later. So. Um, let me focus on the product side because we we thought it would be a lot easier to get new products to market. Um, we're now kind of co-developing over the last 15 months like 20 odd products across all um, different verticals and um, it's actually just common sense. So whenever we start a new product, um, we actually research the product. And we do that, it's, it's actually, you know, ideally it's one of my, um, one of our guys who has no insurance background who just kind of reads across the products like, does this make sense? The next thing you kind of read up on, on, on certain 
um, um, tests about insurance, the information is out there and you're just like, does this make sense? Um, and then you need to talk to the product and business guys, never have an actuary in the room because this, they don't know. It's, it's like rolling the dice because no one knows what happens when you unbundle, rebundle things, there is no data. Now, what we normally say is, guys, it's actually okay if we don't have massive catastrophic liability issues in there and you kind of focus on more kind of damage, you know, motorhome type, type risks, then you actually just need to have a very close eye on the claims. If you're in a transaction level, these claims will come in very quickly. Um, and agree with both the insurer and you know the digital brands we work with to say just cap the profitability and say guys if our assumptions about this in three to six months time were wrong you know either we price it too high or too low you just amend the premium this is something that happens every day in commercial insurance every year commercial contracts are renegotiated based on the claims experience this doesn't happen so much in retail and we'll just putting this thing, what I've done in, in commercial broken, we're just applying it to, the beauty of this is you actually don't need data. You just need guts. And not even that much because you'll know if something goes wrong quite quickly. Um, again, this doesn't work for, you know, life insurance, health insurance. It, it works for, you know, non-life insurance. Um, so what, so we, we, we've just jumped into sort of asset-based type insurance, but but how about life insurance? How about these other sectors? Like, is are these sectors just so completely different from the insurance uh, product development point of view that it's almost impossible? Or like, for example, can you apply the Halo experience to sectors like life insurance, which are pretty? I mean, like, I was looking through my terms when I was going winter skiing, and it said like loss of fingers, a thousand pounds. I'm like, my fucking fingers are worth more than a thousand pounds. What am I going to do with this? Um, yeah, I, th I think actually you can take health insurance. Health insurance is actually one of the more um, it, it's the fastest growing uh, sector within the insurance where you're seeing more innovation, partly in the U United States. Because they're um, critically underinsured as well. Well, yeah, but it also it's the, the regulation. It's yeah, changing yeah. to allow more different um, packages to be available, the way you source health insurance and, and you know, privately, etc. But I think life insurance, same thing. It's how simple you want to make your product. Yeah. Um, think about it this way. Um, I believe for startups in, the, in, in, in this arena to be very successful, it happened to me because I've been doing it six years, you need to somewhat form your own ecosystem, as you, I've heard you say before, Carlos, um, where everyone is kind of traveling at your speed. Hmm. The problem with insurance sec or industry per se is it, it almost travels at a, at a very different speed to how business travels. It's almost like if you put two time clocks next to each other, one, one hand would be moving really quickly, which is your business, and then the insurer clock is somewhat ticking behind it, and you kind of come at it two or three times around. The, the point I'm trying to make is that in order to innovate, in order to set up a company to succeed in this space, using technology, um, obviously, you need to have an insurer that A, understands it, B, supports you all the way, and is super flexible in trying new things. Because like you mentioned, the actuary gets in the room and he wants to kind of confine you to a certain you know, logic as to how the rate works. You have to almost like start from the other way around. What does the consumer want? If you put the customer at the center of that proposition, you're gonna come out with a winning formula because 
the customer will tell you what they want, not the insurer or anyone you're working with in the background. You just need to start from that point and build it backwards. So what, what does the customer want? Because I mean, you, you both said that, but I'm not sure the customer knows what they want. I mean, frankly, yep. like I know that I want travel insurance uh, and then I know that I want um, to make sure that I'm covered when I go say skiing and that I can like be maybe medevaced if something happens. But then when I actually start reading the small print, um, it actually includes a lot more things that I thought, actually, if that happened, I'm glad that it covers that because I had never thought of that. So how do you tackle something as complex as this, creating all these decisions for the customer and then expect to have any kind of credible customer feedback when, when you're starting off to create a new product? I mean, is that even compatible? Well, from, you know, from Casca perspective, yeah. um, our hypothesis is that the customer just don't, doesn't want to deal with it. So what we do is we go through brands that they trust, that have some form of information, and we fit the product and information that the customer actually passively provides by his behavior rather than by what you ask. Um, if you go a step further, we basically mix the distribution with the product and we appreciate the customer that we have in our customer persona is someone who doesn't deal want to deal with insurance and so we do it for them. Mm. It's it's not the I want to understand everything, I want to be advised, which I think there's still um, um, it's like people want to talk to people. Mm. Um, that's that's not our beast. Mm. Okay. I kind of agree with the trusted brand approach. Yeah. I think trying to be successful online, we 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 see it as very important to, to have a trusted brand. I think people um, like to shop with trusted brands and this then forms maybe a discussion or an argument about is it better being a generalist or a specialist when you're in front of the customer and I think online what you're seeing is smaller companies with specialist brands yes. compete against the massive insurance or financial services mm -hmm. brands that we're all, we all come across mm -hmm. in, 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 in more of the mass market um, mm -hmm. and I think that's the difference online and, and the I guess the way I'm growing uh, the business uh, is looking at those verticals mm -hmm. uh, if, per se. You know, we started with car rental insurance as uh, our vertical, our only product. We took a very early decision in our business to say, in fact, I don't want to be like every other insurance broker. I don't want to sell home, motor, um, health, pet, travel insurance. I mm -hmm. want to really look into this product and take it globally. So we did mm -hmm. that geographical footprint strategy early on and it's paid off we've learned a lot about a particular product mm. across various markets but we've also learned what that trusted brand specialist approach mm. has for businesses like ours that mm. also um, evolve with the technology available so we, we you know we've seen a drastic shift in the way people purchase our product and access our products so maybe back in 2010 90% of our traffic was coming from desktop traffic, you know, people looking at our website. Nowadays, 50% of our traffic is being sourced on mobile devices. Mm. So there's this fundamental consumer behavior change in the way people are accessing information mm. and then shopping online. you got to take that information and almost apply it immediately because it's telling you something. It's telling you that consumers do want to transact and engage with you, but in various different ways. So you, you come to that omni-channel approach, which everybody talks about. And I think it's very important to, to, to include in a digital proposition 
just just open up the gates in every which way possible a customer can engage with you but mm. keep the specialist the trusted yeah. brand consistent yeah no that makes sense but you know the part of the brand and and one of the things that is dangerous i guess nicholas with with this view of like dividing the product into components we all we all forget that you know part of the insurance process is the claim i mean ultimately like the moment of truth the moment of truth is a moment when you're like you know something happened right yep. and and i think that um this is the part where most things break down and this is where the worst ratings come in right this is where you go online and you read everything most people's complaints online of insurance products are not at the sort of sourcing end of things or the understanding whether i'm overpaid or underpaid actually in some cases and i'll i'll you know be I'll confess my, my sins here. It's like, I'm willing to overpay on insurance. I just want the claims process to be the, the simplest thing I can possibly do. And I was reading this book recently, um, Speed of Trust, where there was a case study of, of, I think it was a bank or, no, I think it was an insurance uh, company and that they had a very complicated claims process in order to avoid fraud. The moment that they got rid of the super complicated uh, claims process, their claims went down, ironically. And when they interviewed the customers, it, it turned out that the customers were actually, they were so pissed off by the convoluted claims process that they were like just doing it to spite the yeah, brand. Yeah, yeah. But the, the problem still remains. It, fraud is a problem um, and, and fraudulent claims could kill an uh, early stage startup that is helping sell products, even if they're reselling uh, on the back end somebody else who's taking the, the risk. What, how, how is that handled in both your companies, but how is that sort of something that can, can radically change? So from our point of view, and this is a matter of focus and stage, we um, leave the insurance companies to regulate the claims. Um, we do that by, what we make sure is um, when sourcing with insurance companies that we do go with trusted brands where we have a, have a good feeling, but essentially we're taking ourselves out of the equation. Um, also on a more cynical note, People always say this matters with insurance, but this doesn't translate into actual purchase behavior. Claims don't sell. It just doesn't, at the end of the day, if you look at the breadth of what customers actually do, they say, I'm willing to overpay, um, and I want to have a good claims experience, and that's everything. That's actually not what the breadth of really? people do. Really? It's because, otherwise, why do aggregators, um, otherwise aggregators wouldn't work. Because aggregators, there's no feedback loop about you know what the claims. It's all about price. It's actually you stripping products from core cake from core functions by you know to to kind of get some competitive pricing going on. My experience in the retail space, uh, in in commercial space, it's very different. But in the retail spaces, that um, people claims don't sell. Really? Wow. What's your what's your experience in Well, um, I I do think. The, let's let's look at the, the the experience here. The moment of truth is when the customer actually does start. When he uses the product is when he's about to make a claim. Yeah, how much? What percentage of just to, just so for people can get visualization? How, what percentage of sold products end up in a claim? Well, it depends by product line, but like, like the motor insurance product can easily have a um, you know four percent frequency of people claiming. Mm. It depends how how poor the, the product's been sold. A mm. lot has to do with segmentation and mm. where the insurers look for a t particular type of risk. So mm. it, it just, it, it's all to do with statistics. Mm. But let's just go back to the claims mm. experience bit. Um, I do think uh, you do need to, this is where it comes to selecting your, your supplier, I guess your underwriter in this case. Mm. But 
I wouldn't remove the proposition away from looking at, I want also, I, w- I would be demanding in the way your claims are handled once a customer comes in through the gate. Mm-hmm. Because I see a lot of digital online propositions, products mm-hmm. that are spectacular uh, in the way they sell you the insurance. But when it comes to making a claim, it's the old fashioned way. Write by post to this address and you can start your claim, on, you know, and you feel like everything you've just gone through, that user experience, that customer experience is completely flattened by that tail end moment of truth. Yeah. And this is where I think people can innovate and differentiate is that kind of first notification uh, of loss step. If you can make it fun for the customer and engage and kind of like lead him through that tunnel into the insurer, I think that'll make a big difference already. But it's also working with an insurer who can at least tailor their service, their claims handling service, to marry it with a bit of what you're selling up front. I mean, attach this to the other way. I mean, I know we're talking about claims, but what about all these feedback companies, these Google Accelerator feedback companies that get you higher up in the SEO world. Yeah. You know, this is all being used to propel you to the upper, you know, parts of of, of Google. Um, these these search um, these these ranking services, these yeah. customer feedback. If you look at the majority of these feedback uh, companies, yeah. they're only capturing your user experience when you purchase the product. Yeah. For insurance per se, you can get a great great review up front about that experience. Yeah. But they're missing the whole claims experience and they yeah. never bring that back into the loop. Why? Because from experience, if you do customer service on claims, people are m- much more vocal about their experience and it could turn into Sound. a lower score. Yeah. And it's not because it was a bad service. It's because people's perception of the, the claim service they thought they were going to get when they purchased the product. And, and, and it, you know, in our world, in my product, Fortunately, we found actually a product where we've come in as the consumer champion mm-hmm. uh, trying to fix a real issue in the industry saying mm-hmm. customers are getting fleeced at the rental desk. You know, iCar Hire Insurance is there to help you not only to get the best deal, but also to educate you yeah. in that process. And I think that's helping us mm-hmm. position our brand positively with customers. Mm. And you do have the best deal, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I've looked at the market. But have it is a fine line you're playing when it comes to claims and you have to properly have those communication channels. Mm-hmm. It comes back around how you set up your company nowadays. Yeah. Do you want that 360 feedback? Yeah. And if you do, how do you incorporate it into your business so that customers feel they're, that they're actually yeah. reading a true experience in your in your re- reviews? Yeah. Um, you got to be true to yourself and you got to be honest with the way you are selling the product in the end. So it's, yeah. it's quite, it, it, you know, regulation mm. is a lot about treating customers fairly. Yeah. You know, in the UK, this is all over the place, right? Yeah. You got to treat customers fairly. You got to be transparent. And many industries, not just the one I operate in, yeah. suffer from this. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah I mean... I- I think the difficulty with claiming, I think you touched on it correctly, it's very difficult to get standardized statistics about it because um, people are in an emotional state um, and whatever they say 
it, there's there's no real standard about it. Mm. It's, it's it's so emotional. So I would be very careful on on how that would um, um, on how you would even feed that back in in a digital way because there needs to be some form of. Is, is there any startup that you know of, maybe that I can invest in, that does the, just the claims bit as a as a sort of service? There are a couple. Um, there, but they're targeting mainly insurance companies to um, and motor motor is because motor is just the biggest. Um, it's basically cash in, cash out, um, and an insurance company in motor is more of a kind of, almost like a service company um, to, to, to deal with all that. Um, the other thing, and just maybe as, as an anecdote, there's a big insurer, um, and they work on a really smooth claims app. Mm. And the guy in charge, the product manager in charge, had an accident, and what did he do? He called the phone number. He didn't use the own app that he was designing for the mm. last six months, because it's a different mental state. Now, I think the process, you need to be, you can do it online, mm -hmm. but I don't think... So I'm curious, what, what age was he? Because hmm? um, I do think that there is something to be said with how like different generations by... Late 30s, I would say, or early 40s. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I, I was listening to Calacanis' uh, podcast the other day about sort of how different generations are interacting with not only social media, but with different products, right? And uh, you know, you look at this emergence of vocal, vocalized AI interactions versus touch user interfaces, and you know, you could see where this potentially this this guy's experience might be. I, yeah, I think I specific think it also, to his generation. Perhaps. It also has. I mean, if I crack my mobile phone, I don't want to have anyone to call. It, you know, it needs to be smooth and. Be, yeah. If I just totaled my car and I don't know, just had an accident, it's a very different. It's a very it's different experience. Bit, so and I think you know, and let's not even go into health yeah, and life insurance, um, where you have you know different types. A lot of, of stress. Exactly. So I think um, I think you just need to treat you need to treat it with um, a little bit of uh, respect. Mm. Um, that thing, um, and again, I personally think the and I think you've 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 mentioned this. It's it's. You can fix the claims by fixing distribution of products as well, because mm. they go all hand in hand. Because the reason why people um, are, you know, are, are pissed off about cancellation insurance because they basically think they can just return the ticket because they have something better to do. This is because cancellation is is you can say I think it's it's slightly misled because people have very I'm amazed when I talk to my circle of friends what they actually think they're buying and everyone's buying it. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense because unit economics would have to be way more expensive. But I think if you fix distribution, if you fix product, um, then you alleviate a lot of the stress that you had on the, on the claims side. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like there's still a lot more innovation that can take place in this space. And yeah. it's great to hear both of you share your views and what, what you're building that is going to be disrupting that. And it's clear to me that if you guys have any friends in this other bits of the value chain that we spoke about, feel free to make those introductions. Um, thanks for joining us, guys, uh, and for the audience, thanks for joining us as well, and until next time, bye.